Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and investment wisdom collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zanbergen. Welcome to our show of Dream Chasers and Wealth Makers. We are thrilled to be back in studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. As your host, I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what and what you need to know today. And today I'm very pleased to have with us again, Nicole Anderson from Anderson Law Group. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Bart. So nice to be back with you. Of course. And Paul, does she take the record? Usually it's Letitia that comes in with shoes in hand. I wasn't going to call out your guest, but uh, she (laughs) made it just under the wire here. She's all calm and composed. Yeah, Yeah, like nothing. Awesome. All right, Nicole. So we have had two uh, sessions already of the SECURE Act. Um, not at, from a legal standpoint, but more of a high level that Letitia and I have discussed. So we are excited today to dive in a little bit deeper. And I know you have, this is something right up your alley. So why don't we start with kind of maybe just the summary of what it is, and we can kind of get more into the details, especially as it applies to your area. Great. Well, the SECURE law was enacted December 20th. 2019 and it was effective as of January 1st. So this law made significant changes for estate planning with retirement benefits. So this is technically, it's, it's a bit of a complicated law. It's not a replacement of our existing law. It replaces some parts, but I think of it as an overlay. It overlays certain areas of the former law. Now, many of our clients have large retirement plans. So this is definitely, I'm so glad you've had a number of episodes on this because this is really important for our clients to understand. So now, except for five categories of qualified beneficiaries, which we're going to talk about, People can no longer defer the tax over their lifetime. Beneficiaries can no longer defer the tax over their lifetime. So we used to be able to do. Uh, we used to be able to stretch. Stretch IRA, yeah. Right, stretch the benefits over yeah. a lifetime. So that meant especially it was especially favorable if you had a, a younger surviving spouse or a younger child. They would be able to defer the tax over their life expectancy. So that was a very powerful tool. Right, right. So Congress thought, hey, let's try to get some more tax revenue and let's reduce that stretch. So now most people have to take the benefits out over 10 years. Right. Okay. There are still some categories, which we're going to talk about, that can stretch. So I want to make sure we, we compare the differences. Okay, right. good. And then some, some people won't even be able to go... F- for 10 years, right? So in my world, I have to be careful because if the trust is not properly drafted and it's a beneficiary, they are not a qualified beneficiary. They would have to take the benef- the benefits out even faster than 10 years. They might be subject to a five-year payout. So I want to make sure we cover this when the time is right, but um, this comes up a lot. Like, when do we make a trust a beneficiary? An IRA and a life insurance policy. So let's make sure, I'll sure. let you do your thing. Let's make sure we cover that. Yeah, that's a great point. So let's start with what are these five uh, specified categories of eligible designated beneficiaries? And designated beneficiaries are really a term of art when I'm talking about this. So if you do not qualify for one of these designated beneficiary categories, then you are subject to that 10 year 
uh, post-death payout. Did you say term of art? It's it's <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's you're a designated beneficiary. You're a qualified <laughs> beneficiary. Yes. So um, let's let's start with probably the most important uh, uh, qualified beneficiary. That would be the surviving spouse. Okay. Good. Perfect. So. Before, surviving spouses used to be able to have a spousal rollover. Right. Right. So they're no longer necessarily going to have that. They will be able to stretch. Uh, they will still qualify for their life expectancy stretch, but it will be, you know, different terminology now. So they will be able to stretch out for their lifetime, but at the end of their life, that's it. Ten-year payout starts. Okay. So just so I'm clear from my side... So if it's a surviving spouse, do we set up an inherited IRA? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So it's do. still an inherited yeah. IRA. Mm-hmm. Okay. And important note, they also need to then select new beneficiaries. Of the inherited for, IRA. Yeah, of their okay. inherited IRA. Okay. So it's more technical than it is practical, right? So this, basically the surviving spouse can still stretch out over their lifetime. They can. It's yeah. just they don't have the ability to continue beyond theirs. It's, it's right. maximum 10 years beyond Post their life. their death, yeah. Got it. So, okay. so I guess, you know, for most people, that's not going to feel too different, right? right. They're still going to have the stretch, but then typically, not always, but typically married couples are not that far apart from one another. So... I mean, I see why they did this. It sounds good, right? The survivor can still stretch, but then after yeah. that, tenure applies. Right. Got it. So the next one is minor children of the participant. So here, again, the life expectancy payout will apply until that minor child is 18. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, that's actually not exactly correct. It's the age of majority. So, Which is 18 in some states. Yes, it's 18 in some states. So that would be a state technicality of what the age of majority is. And then once they reach that age of majority, then the 10-year kicks in. Okay. Okay. So minor children of the participant are where we have to pay attention the most. When, when you first asked me about how do you designate yeah. a beneficiary. So typically, you know, I, I would ask my clients, are you comfortable that this benefit would be stretched out until your child's 18? But after they're 18, are you comfortable with them getting that full payout in the next 10 years Mm -hmm. most people will say no so that's when you say okay well your option could be to make a quality a trust the beneficiary for that child Mm. okay you have to be very careful on how you draft the trust because if you draft it as what we call a conduit trust that says all income has to go out to the beneficiary every year they have to then take it out um they this the income or the the principal well, you, it, it, it wouldn't be a qualified beneficiary longer, okay? They would have to take okay. it out. Oh, they'd have to take faster. it out and pay all the tax at yeah, that time. So an accumulation trust is more likely what that person will have. So that means that the trustee can decide whether to distribute income and principal to that minor okay. child. So in that circumstance, the tax is going to be accelerated, right? You're going to have to pay that it's going to be forced out in 10 years. You'll have to pay the tax, but then the trustee theoretically could defer those payments a little bit longer. Okay, right? so let's pause for a second. So in that case, so you've created this trust, and so, but the trust as a beneficiary um, can have 10, they can pay out over 10 years. So the trust to pays, the trust, t- pays the tax IRA. over 10 years. 
right? Is going to have to pay the tax right. over 10 years. So now it's non-qualified money. It's and not... remember, trusts pay at the highest tax bracket. Oh, that's the net downside. Yeah. Okay, but then the trustee of the trust can, per the, in this case, terms the parents of the, of the, um, the trust, and then the terms can pay out as as specified. Right, but the okay. tax is going to be accelerated. Right, and, and potentially high. higher. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's state-driven, right, the tax? Yeah. I mean, it's federal and state-driven. Yeah. Yeah. So. So no really great answer. Not a great answer. Well, there are yeah. a couple better answers, yes, that I'd okay. like to make sure we talk about. Okay. For example, charitable remainder trust would be a good way for. Well, we've talked about that. Yeah, right. yeah. So let's go through that at the yeah. end. So then there's also uh, the disabled beneficiary, right, the life out, life expectancy payout would still apply, the chronically ill, same and also a beneficiary that is less than 10 years younger. So they cannot be more than 10 years younger, right? So hold on, so on the disabled and the chronically ill, does that have to be a relative? No, it could be like a special, uh, someone with special needs. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. um, now the minor child participant, oftentimes grandparents like to leave IRA benefits to their grandchildren, yeah. but they're not a minor child of that participant. So that the ten-year oh, plot, the, the right. ten-year rule would apply to them. Right, right. Unless you name that trust, it's a big change. Now, people always ask me, "What do I need to do?" I think the most important thing that you do is you you talk to your financial advisor, you talk to your estate planning attorney, and see if you need to retitle the beneficiaries. Just take a second look, double check, see what you have. Mm -hmm. Make sure you understand how that is going to work under SECURE and how that's going to fit in your overall estate plan. If you have a large IRA and you thought that this was going to be stretched out for that person's lifetime and instead it's being paid out in 10 years, you might want to rethink who gets the IRA and who gets other monies that you might have in your trust right. that you can put re more restrictions. Okay. In on let's talk about the good news yeah the raise from <laughs> 70 and a half to 72 <laughs> i know isn't that funny Such a big <laughs> so just to we define yeah. that i know you and i are kidding because we know this so there's yes. something called a required minimum distribution and that is an amount that one must take out of their qualified plan and qualified plan is either like an ira or 401k or 403b and they have to start taking out old law by age 70 and a half odd age but is what it is. So the year they turn 70 and a half, the new law after the SECURE Act is they can start at age 72. So they prolonged. Um, now, Nicole, what, what I'm not clear on is if somebody has already started RMD and they were 70 and a half, let's say in 2019, and they're not yet 72. Do you know what happens there? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. <laughs> Paul, do you have the answer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 no. <laughs> I I think oh, we'll get they, back to you. Yeah, all. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure, but I would think that they you know already started it that's what under I think. the old law. But that's, that's how a it good, typically works. Okay, yeah. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, that's okay. Okay, so let's, can I ask one question before you jump ahead though? So I just want to see if I understand what you're saying here because someone else was tweeting this in. So you're talking about trust. A lot of your clients have trusts, obviously, because they want to pass this stuff along quickly without probate here. You're just talking about the IRA part of the trust. Well, typically, if if you have a, the perfect situation, you didn't necessarily always name the trust as a beneficiary of an IRA. So IRAs are not ever 
owned by the trust. They cannot be. They have to be owned by the individual. That's what I thought. That's what I was but confused because you kept saying trust and whatnot. The trust can be a beneficiary of the IRA. So if the trust is a beneficiary of the IRA and the person dies and it goes, the assets go to the trust out of that IRA, you're saying the trust still has, like anybody has to take it out within 10 years or whatever? Yes, and it, yes but it's probably, if you have the option of of naming one of these qualified beneficiaries, like the surviving spouse, that would be a better... That's what I didn't understand. That's what I was trying to yeah. get at. or Because you were saying right. many of these people will have the trust mm-hmm. as the... Ben- they've got a family trust, yeah. and then well, there's, there's some the money reasons. just rolls into the family trust, but then they think, oh, gee, it's all been inherited tax-free. It's not- definitely not tax-free on the IRA side, unless it's a Roth. But yes, so... It, yeah, this is complicated territory that you're getting into, but we can we can go there if you'd like. So when you name a beneficiary of an IRA, typically there's two types of IRAs. There's, there's pre- and post-tax IRAs. So right. most IRAs, you have to pay tax when you take those the, the, the money out. Those are traditional IRAs. Right. The alternative is a deferred. Roth. Right, right yeah. exactly. The alternative is a Roth IRA, which is... You've already paid the tax, and then you make contributions to it. So if you have a Roth IRA, then this, you know, the tax is is not really going to matter, right? But you still are going to have to take all that money out within the, the, the time period of, depending on your situation, under secure. So one... So one tool that that we're talking about is maybe we should talk to our clients about doing some Roth conversions, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's one... I think it's going to become a little more common. Yeah, but so then they got to pay the taxes now on it when they convert it over. They do. That's exactly right, Paul. Mm-hmm. So what we do from a planning perspective is usually, one, try to find a year where they're in a lower tax bracket, meaning they probably have maybe just retired, so their income is lower, so that might put them in a lower tax bracket. And then, two, we do what's called a Roth corridor to say, okay, th- this is your current tax bracket. You can have X amount of more earned income before we bump into the next higher tax bracket, let's say it's 50000 So 50000 is the amount that we would take out maybe on an annual basis and convert from the IRA to the Roth IRA, paying taxes at what might be a lower tax rate. Right. So that's that's a good tool. So also with you know naming a trust, it's not always your revocable trust that's a beneficiary of an IRA. There's also uh, trusts that are called standalone retirement trusts. There's also trusted IRAs. Okay, so these mm-hmm. are people sometimes use those tools when they want to leave the IRA benefits to their surviving spouse, but they don't want their surviving spouse to be able to appoint new beneficiaries. beneficiaries. Right, right. Yeah. So, which, you know, I completely understand. Sure. Especially if it's a blended family. Right, right. So, so, so naming the trust as a beneficiary, you have to be very careful. You have to make sure that your trust is drafted properly. You have to think about the income tax and the tax consequences to that. And you have to, um, you know, you just have to make sure that that's what you want. It used to be. I thought cleaner is because there's always a spouse or a child. It was always a living person as a beneficiary, and then contingent would be the trust, right? That's what we for try to do for tax purposes. That's that what was we try general, to do. but I, with the with the new lack of stretch for, in most cases or limitation, now it's 
it's a lot more complicated, a lot mm-hmm. more complicated. Yeah. And where your services become much more important because then we can go through the process and decide. Is it more of concern to the parent? Let's say we're talking usually parents in this case, leaving money behind to their heirs, that the, that the uh, benefits of their IRA that they've set aside, probably tax-free unless it was an IRA, I mean, not tax, tax, tax deferred, deferred, unless it was a Roth IRA. Do they really care what happens? I mean, are they planning that carefully? I, I want to have it dole out over the lifetime of this heir, or is it really the heirs that are saying, "Wait a minute, I want an option to do this, and now I don't have an option anymore. I got to take it out." Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, what one thing that I one thing that I like to think about is if you have a home, uh, an, uh, an investment account, and then also a retirement account, you can think about who gets what. Let's say you want to leave money to charity. So it's always been the case, and it's even more so now, that if you're going to leave, let's say you have um, you know, two kids and a charity as beneficiaries that you'd like to leave your assets to, and you want everything to go a third, a third, a third. So a third to each of the two children, two-thirds, and the final third to charity. So all things considered, it would be better to leave the retirement plan to charity and leave the other assets, the home and the investment account, to the children, right? Because mm-hmm. then we can better design the plan on how you want to leave the children money. It's more than just avoiding probate. And does the charity have to pay tax too? I guess they would. Huh? No, they do not. They ah. are. That leads into the CRT conversation, right. which we'll have in a minute. Ah. Right. So if somebody's got a, if if I've got three, I got a. Say that again. I got a house, and I got money set aside in some sort of investment, investment account, account, taxable. Investment and then I have account. this retirement, this IRA, and somebody gets the IRA. Uh, in in your third, a third, a third analogy, two kids in a charity here. So the charity, if they get it, doesn't have to pay that tax. Correct. Whereas if one of the children did, they would have an accelerated time period. they got to pull it out, and therefore they'd have to pay the tax on it. And probably pay more tax, right? Because if you have to take out a million-dollar IRA in 10 years, that's going to really bump up your tax bracket. And and just to sidebar a second, because there's something that's related, Paul. So many times as people will want to donate every year to a charity. Right. And if they're in a situation where they they might have a choice where it's either cash or let's say they have $10,000 worth of a highly appreciated something. Let's call it a stock. Right. ABC stock. So you can take, they could sell the stock, pay the tax, give it to the charity, or they could take the stock, the $10,000 worth of it, give it to the charity, not pay the tax. The charity gets 10000 sells it, doesn't pay the tax. Mm-hmm. Client gets the... They get the uh, full benefit of that, right? Not, not the up to limit. There's some limits. I'm yeah. I'm gonna not talk about, but there's yeah. This yeah, is so really that's, you got to really think this stuff through now. Here, this is even <laughs> you added a whole nother layer. Everybody's heads are spinning here right yeah. now. They're running back to their trusts and their everything here and trying well, to figure out what they're gonna do here. I I am so glad you brought that up, Art, because I think especially for charities, that's a great thing that they should be letting their um, donors know, right? That yeah. that if someone's seventy and a half, they can really they can avoid the 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 income right and especially also because our charitable deductions are limited now so it's a win-win situation right and i just checked about the rule that i was unsure on yeah and yes in that case the old rule governs does apply so if you yes. started okay we got an answer so you have to uh 
you have to find out when you reach the age. So also a little complicated. Yeah. You know, the and I'll, I'm going to say it now, and then I'm saying it at the end. At the very end, just make sure you have a good advisor or state planning attorney or both, because they can help walk you through all this because it is a little daunting. Right, it does. So let's talk about maybe what I think one of the best solutions for for There's a solution to all this? I thought it's just a problem. The solution is just hire you guys here. Well, for people that really want, let's say they have a large IRA, I mean a lot of doctors their retirement plan is is almost everything, yeah. I would say. Mm-hmm. And you know, they want to make sure that the benefits are not taken out in 10 years. They don't think that their beneficiaries can handle that much in 10 years. Um, we can still. They may do not this. want to give it to them. They, they're hoping they don't take it all out and blow it here or something. Right. Know, right. So we can design a charitable remainder trust that starts on the death of the participant and it would pay out for. A, a longer term of years. Mm-hmm. It, it could pay out for the life of a spouse. It can pay out for a non-spouse up to 20 years. And then at that time, then the remainder would go to charity. But if we, if you do the math and you run the numbers, sometimes the payout is even more to the the person benefit beneficiary. Yeah, I've run, I've seen the scenarios, and and more often than not, it's better for the for the beneficiary. Right. So let's let's define because not everybody knows what a CRT right. is. Right. So CRT stands for Charitable Remainder Trust, and it's in an irrevocable trust in which you gift an asset to ultimately that goes to a charity. So it could be an asset that could be a house, it could be a stock account, it could be cash. Right. Correct. The. Um, um, donor slash investor gets a deduction that year that they make the contribution now it is there is a future value time value of money so it might not be a hundred percent depending on how old they are the beauty of the we talked about earlier and applies here as well correct is that because it is a charity the charity can sell the asset and if they so chose not pay any taxes. Correct. They avoid capital gain. Avoid the capital gain. And then the beauty of a CRT, both for a charity and for the donor slash investor, is the, and I know there are some, and there are some options here, but the, the a donor can get a certain amount of income from the trust for X number of years, their life, the rest of their spouse's life, etc. I'm just explaining the oh, general yeah, one, and then no, we'll talk about the IRA. Um, and whatever is left over goes to charity. And so some people listening and people that I present this to will like, might say, well, I want to make sure my kids get all the money or my beneficiary or something along those lines. So but, I've got a good solution. You probably do too, Bart. Yeah, there's, there's, one, there's that. But there's, um, we'll get to that. But also just doing the math of not having to pay the tax. Let's say, I, I don't know, let's say it's a, well, in this case, an IRA that you've never paid taxes on and now you're not paying the taxes if it's, you know, a stock, ABC stock that you were granted from your company, it went public, and so you have no cost basis, and now it's worth, pick a number, $500,000. Right. So in many cases, just by avoiding the tax capital gains up front and then the time of interest, um, some people that you're referring to will say, easy fix, we'll just get a life insurance policy that will cover the amount of the, 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 the amount that's going to looks like it's going to charity. There's all sorts of solutions, but CRT is a really, I think, valuable tool. It's an amazing tool, yeah. yes. 
Yes. Does anybody ever say, you know what? Country's been good to me. I want to give the Uncle Sam as much money as I can give him here when I die. <sighs> Very few. <laughs> Actually, I've never heard that, but you, you kind of alluded to that earlier. So in 90 plus percent of my clients, it is that generation, the one that are my clients, that they want to make sure. I want to, in some cases, pay as little death tax or state tax sure. as possible. I want to make sure my this is exactly how I want my kids to have money. They were very much in control. Yes. Um, and then, then the next question is, okay, <laughs> so from a control standpoint, how much do you care how, about how much goes to your family versus taxes? And I would say one in 10 are like, hey, I, I've done enough for my kids. They're fine. They'll get what they get. That's right. one in 10. Right. Um, there's some that are moderate that will say... And the majority are moderate. Look, there's yeah. going to be some tax. We'll do some planning. We'll work with an estate planning attorney. We may get some life insurance. That'll take care of it. The kids will get the rest. And then there are those. And Nicole and I both have these kind of clients that we share. Like, I don't want to pay the government a penny. And so <laughs> I want my kids to get every single penny. Every nickel I earned yeah, is rem- going to remember them. Remember, estate tax is, is a really it's a double taxation you've already paid income tax on yeah. and if you're subject to the that's estate an interesting tax, point i never thought of that you've yeah. already you already paid tax you earned the money and then the government wants another share just because you died yeah so you have to be over the exemption amount which is currently very high it's 11, what is it like five a person paul so if you have a trust 11 and a half million times two or if you're married yep but, that's what Married. I have to say. Okay. Yeah. Well, you yeah. guys handle all these billionaires and trillionaires and stuff here. Yeah, that's a whole other world. We handle hundred heirs like you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I would I would almost argue that having um, a properly designed trust is even more important. If you if, if you if, you know you need to make sure that what you have goes to the, your loved ones the way you want and how you want. So oh, yeah. it's for everyone. So this why are just, there still yeah. so many? angry probate fights over wills and estates and all this stuff. I mean, that stuff hasn't seemed like it's gone away particularly, and not just well, for the uber wealthy here. It seems like people are fighting right. over all sorts of stuff. Well, it's it's true, and it's, you know, it's sad. I I don't, you know, that's a whole other topic. Why do? I think, you know, one of my attorney colleagues put it in a way that I've always thought about. If you don't get along in the back of the station wagon when mom and dad are alive, you're not going to get along when they're deceased. <laughs> I like yeah. that one. Yeah. That's pretty good. Somebody once said, and I'm sorry, I'm eating into your time, but somebody once said some of the biggest fights aren't over the biggest uh, uh, amounts of money. It's over who gets the painting, who gets mom's ring, Absolutely. who gets that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, to your point, Paul, we have quickly run out of time. Yeah. So, um, I hope she'll come back and more because this is... I think it's one of those conversations that few people have, except you guys. And every time we do it, people tune in and go, man, that's really interesting. And they all have questions to ask here. Yeah. Um, Nicole, I have the honor, you may remember from the last time we were on the show, of asking uh, my guests their final thought question. And if you could share with us your ultimate lesson learned over your career as an, an attorney. Gosh, I've learned so many. It's called practicing law. <laughs> Well, I, I think the ultimate lesson in life is to be a good human, be fair, um, take care of your people in life and your clients and your employees, and just do your best. Which you do very, very well. All right, this one's a little more fun. So, Nicole, what is your gu- guilty pleasure? Oh, 
romantic comedies oh, with a glass of wine. Romantic comedies. Did you see that one coming? Okay. Does she watch The Bachelor? No, we don't have TV at our house. But you I don't have TV. We have Netflix. What are you Apple like living TV. in a cave somewhere? Pretty, have oh. you met my husband? <laughs> <laughs> He's not listening, so it's He's okay. not yeah, listening. Yeah, okay. He probably won't, right? <laughs> <laughs> he has strong views on that subject, I think. <laughs> All right, Nicole. Hey, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Bart. Um, and we thank you all for tuning in and we look forward to being back in the studio next week cheers tune in next week for the latest edition of the zanbergen report tuesdays at 2 p.m catch up on our recent shows by visiting bartzanbergen.podbean.com the zanbergen report is also available on itunes iHeartRadio, and spotify interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. Bart A. Zanbergen, CFP, and Letitia Burbaum, AIF, are registered investment advisors with Optivest, Inc., and registered representatives with Gramercy Securities, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered by Optivist, Inc., under SEC registration.